morning. Let me just say this quickly. Jesus will return again, just as he said he would. Today, tomorrow, or a thousand years, but he will come back again. And we will all be taken up, collected to him. I think that's pretty exciting. Those who have passed away before us will be raised first, and then those who remain will come and we will all be collected to him. And we shall rule and reign on the new earth as it was meant to be. I think that's exciting. We forget that, actually. Christians forget that. We live for now. Have you noticed that? We've, back in the old days, they used to live with eternity in their hearts. But nowadays, they don't. We live, everything's for now. What's going to happen now? We need to get everything done now. You know, everything's immediate. Yeah. And you know, I often think back, people would go to war, even, even within our lifetime, not mine, I, I didn't live through World War I or II, but for those of you who, who was, who was, seriously, who was here during World War II, who was alive, even if you were a little kid? It's fantastic, that's amazing. But people, people went to war knowing that they would die, right? But they did it knowing that their children grandchildren and great-grandchildren and those of all the people of their countrymen would live free. If you look around the world today, among millennials, even probably among some of us, we would never do that. Why would I go and die for somebody else's grandchild? It's ridiculous. But that's because in their hearts, they had something far more. This is really just going to just feed back the moment I actually raise my voice and start talking. So if you want to turn the mic down... Because I'm holding, I'm restraining myself because I can hear the, I can hear it in the background there. Okay, so um, I think there's something about that. There's something quite quite incredible about learning to live for the benefit of others, for the benefit of other generations, setting things up for other generations. It's quite a, it's quite a powerful thing that we've lost. We really have. Everyone wants now immediate gratification, and uh, you see that. Where's my daughter's not here, which is great. You see that with teenagers. They're very, it's very me-focused, you know. I was probably like that when I was a teenager, although I don't think so. I think I was probably not, but, but I probably was, <laughs> if I was honest. Um, but, yeah, everything's very me-focused. Everything's about self-gratification. And we, I, I don't know why I'm sharing this because it's got nothing to do with my message, but in the, in the worship, I actually thought it's amazing how people come when we go to church, we, how, we, how we choose a church based on what that church can give us. Oh, oh, they've got a kids' ministry. That's fantastic. I can send my kids off there. Oh, they've got a youth. That's fine. My teenage daughter can go to youth. Oh, they've got a feeding of the poor arm of their church. That's great because whenever I want to feel like I need to feed the poor to give myself a little pep, pep up, I can go and do that. You know, oh, they've got a young adults group. That's fantastic. If I'm free on a Friday night because I'm not doing anything, hey, I'll pop along to that. You know, or, you know, oh, they've got an old people's group, you know, that meets on a Monday. If I feel like I want to go, I'll go. So, so we, 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 no one really selects church. Is any, I mean, I don't know about you, but. I don't see many people selecting church like this. Oh, what, what, what do they lack that I can add to? What, what do they not have that I can do? Oh, they don't have a kid's ministry. I've got two kids. I see there's three or four other children sort of hanging around. You know what? I've got a heart to want to see kids grow. I'm going to join that church, fit in, and then I'm going to ask if I can assist with starting up a kid's ministry or a youth or what, if that's what you want to do, you know, or, 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 or a young adults group or an old 
mature persons group. <laughs> now, I said mature. I, I, rest, I brought it back, and I went a mature people's group. I was going to say something funny, but I didn't know how it would go down. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, we're almost going home group. <laughs> I'll be there. Don't worry. I'll be there. I want to be a... I'm going to be an old man one day. Just waiting there, waiting. Have you seen the movie Laugh where he sits there? He's like, I can't. He's, they're all old. And he's like, ah, the upper room. He's like, I can see it now. The upper room. <laughs> That'll be me one day. I'm, I'll be excited when I'm an old, you know, when I'm 90-something years old. My wife said I have to live in, in, at least into my 90s. And, and I've got to apparently be running marathons at that age as well. So... <clears throat> I'm going to do something a little different today, a little different, right? And um, it's not normally what preachers do because they, we like to take the full time here behind the pulpit so you can hear my voice. But I want to share something just very short, then, and it's going to tie in, obviously, as I would, otherwise I wouldn't be doing it this way. I'm going to show you a 26-minute video, which is really, who's heard, who knows Louis Giglio? I'm not doing it describable, just calm down, okay? We've all seen that, that video. And it's great, by the way, watch it in your home. Um, but, but who's seen a, 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 a sermon by him, which is really not a sermon, but a testimony, and it's called Ice Cream and Fruitcake. Fantastic. Okay? It's really not a sermon. It's actually him. It's a testimony. And it's not his testimony. It's somebody else's shared by him. And it's quite powerful, and it's going to tie into what we're talking about. Okay? But, but first, let me, first let me say this. Ben, it... it this has been something that's always been in my heart for a long time. When Ben started preaching on the, um, the foundations or the um, vision for the church, thanks, Edith, the vision for the church, one of the areas was discipleship. And he, and he pressed on it. Afterwards, I went to him and said, mate, discipleship, that's a four-month course. Like, you know, actual fact, that's a lifetime course. But if you really want people to, if you want to teach it, it's four months. And so I said, oh, I want to just sort of pick up a little bit on it, maybe come from a different angle to what you came from. And um, I want to say this, most of, of, most of modern day evangelism is focused around getting people saved. It, it really is. That's the main thing. Let's get, it's all about, you're out, we want to get you in. And there's nothing wrong with that. Salvation is part of the journey. We have to be saved. You cannot enter the kingdom unless you are born again. That's clear as daylight. So you've got to get people born again. But Jesus never said to them, go out and get people saved. Now, I'm not saying that the evangelists are wrong. I'm just saying I think there might be a bit of an adjustment in how they might be presenting the message. Jesus said, go out and make disciples of all nations, and teaching of all peoples, actually, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's quite interesting. That's a whole different situation because Jesus saves and gets people saved, and the Holy Spirit convicts and leads people. Evangelists don't convict people. When I evangelize, and I'm not an evangelist, but we all evangelize. We all share the gospel. That's effectively what it is. An evangelist is someone who pre presents the good news. We should be doing that every day, not on the streets, um, particularly standing out there, because otherwise, you know, you wouldn't have a job. You wouldn't be able to go home. No. But, but through your life, you're presenting a good a gospel, a good news. Okay? And you don't have to have dreadlocks to be an evangelist. You know, if you want to, you can, if that's who you are. But, you know, if you want to be anointed, you don't have to. The anointing is not in the dreadlocks. It's in the Holy Spirit that's in you, right? I, I had to say that. It's very cheeky. I had to say it. Um, it's, it wouldn't be me if I didn't say something cheeky. And, 
Um, don't, be, don't try and be somebody else. Todd White's Todd White, and he's, a, he's phenomenal. But you don't have to look like Todd White to be doing what Todd White's doing. If you're an evangelist, just go and be an evangelist. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> fantastic. The key element here is discipleship. Jesus, because discipleship encompasses everything, right? I want to read the scripture. John 11, sorry, John 8, John 8, 31. Listen to this. So Jesus said to the Jews, now remember Jesus was only ministering to Jews at that time, that's why, but we can read it in this sense that Jesus said to the people, but we want to be true to the word. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. So they had already believed in him. So he says this to them. If you abide, if or remain, or dwell, or, or another common word, if you plug into me, that's a nice way of saying it, you know. If you abide, live, dwell, remain, plug into me, sorry, into my word. So if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I think that's quite a phenomenal thing. I read this a long time ago. I've shared this in this church at some point, maybe on a number of occasions, but I've shared it in, 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 around the world. There's, there's key elements here to this. Number one, if you abide in me or in my word, you are truly my disciples. Isn't that interesting? If we don't abide or obey God's word, we are not really his disciples, are we? Because disciple means student. You know, if you're not obeying what it is you're learning, you're not actually a student, therefore you're not a disciple. Now, I want to say this, and, it's, and, and I wanted to say it in a way that it is a wake-up call for every one of us sitting here and every Christian in the world, is you can be a Christian sitting in church, but you might not be a disciple. You might be born again into the kingdom because of your true confession of faith and, and who Jesus is, what he did. He, he died he rose back to life again. He ascended to the throne and he will come again. That is the confession of our hearts. Right? Because of that confession, you are born again. But you're not a disciple unless you live in obedience to God. That's it. The church is full of Christians, but not disciples. Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples. We can fill the church with people that have been born again. But people that have been born again don't have an impact unless they obey the truth. Because why? That truth transforms you and sets you free. So we have a lot of Christians. I'm, I've met so many of them. And, and I myself can testify my own life where there's areas that there was no freedom. And I wondered why there was no freedom in that area of my life or why that individual person didn't have freedom in their life. And the, the, I can bring it down to this point. I wasn't living or they were not living in obedience to God's word. See, if you obey God's word, you abide in his word, then you are his disciple. When you are a disciple, then the truth sets you free. If you read it in that order, you go, if you abide in me or in my word, then you are truly a disciple. So if you don't abide, well, then you're not a disciple. That's if you want to read it in that manner. I'm just, I'm using normal English understanding here. There's nothing strange about this. And, and also, you will know the truth and that truth will set you free. So I meet people, like I said, all the time. Hey, uh, I'm struggling in this area. Fantastic. Have you been living? Have you done this, what the, what the Word of God says? No, I haven't. That's why there's no freedom. Yeah, but I want to be free. Then obey the Word. Yeah, but it's hard. Then you're not going to be free. Well, what do you want to do, man? 
Do you want to be free or don't you want to be free? I want to be free. Then obey the word. God doesn't command us for the sake of, you know, that he can flex his muscles and go, look at all these people that follow me. He does it because he knows that that is the authority of his kingdom. The justice system of the kingdom of heaven is one that is free. If you want to be set free of addiction, obey God. Not by going and trying to stop being an addict, (laughs) but by living in the leading of the Holy Spirit, which means that his grace is going to teach you how to say no. Amen? We have to get this. Otherwise, we've got a lot of church people, churchgoers. A lot of Christians, but we have no impact on the world. Our job is to take ownership and rulership and government of the, of the realm that God gave us, which is this earth. You know, we're not by toppling governments. We're not, going to go to, we're not taking up arms and, and marching to Canberra to overthrow the government. We don't want to. They're a good government. But if they weren't a good government, like we wouldn't be marching there. That's not the battle that Jesus fought against the Romans, and it's not the battle he wants us to fight. Our battle is against spiritual powers and principalities. I've spoken about this. Disciples do that. Why? Because as I live in obedience, what does obeying God look like for me personally? What does it look like for you? Because I, I want to, and I want to demystify that today. Because while it is challenging to be a disciple, it's also very simplistic. It's not hard. Now, when we understand discipleship as you've got to do more, well, then we're all going to fail. And we've had people, you know, what more can I do? I, I don't feel like I'm a disciple because I'm not out there in the streets preaching the gospel to people on the street corner. I'm not out there running around asking guys who I see limping down the road if I can pray for their legs. I'm not leading a ministry within the life of this church. So I don't feel like I'm a disciple. I'm not going on missions trips overseas. So what we've done is we've, we've mystified what a disciple is. And it's made it impossible for people that wake up and have a nine-to-five job. It's impossible for a single mum. It's impossible for a mature person who, who just doesn't have the finances in their, um, in their retirement fund to be able to get on airplanes and fly out and doesn't have the physical energy in their body to go out at nine o'clock at night at Surface Paradise and find every sick person and pray for them and tell them about Jesus. So we actually take that away. A, a, a businessman who sits in, a, in, in his office leading a company can't be a disciple because he spends so much time there and then when he goes home, he wants to sow into his family. But sowing into your family is discipleship because a disciple is someone who obeys God what does he say? Love Husbands, love your wives. Wives, love and submit to your husbands. Children, be obedient to your parents. Be honorable in how you do business with people. Don't shaft people. Don't under, do underhanded deals. If you're a teacher in a classroom, how you respond to a child that is struggling or has uh, emotional or behavioral issues is, is going to help that person. Why? That's obe- obe- obeying God. You know, and yes, the other things are, if this is what you're able to do, I felt God lead me to go and pray, pray for a sick person on the streets. That's part of obedience. But that's not the only part of obedience. Amen? So what I want to do is I also want to read you one more verse out of Mark, Mark 12, and then we're going to watch this, this video quickly. It's only a 26-minute video. That's why I, I felt to play it, because it's not going to uh, drag on. But just go to, go to Mark 12 quickly. Verse 21. This is one other part of this, which I found very interesting when I read it. 
What did I say? Mark 12. I think I might be wrong. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Verse 28, sorry guys. One of the scribes came and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked this question of Jesus. He said, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered. Now, most of us said, what's the greatest commandment? I guarantee you, all you're going to say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as you would yourself. But I want to read, that, I want to read this again because I want you to see what he says here. It says, they asked him, which is the, most, is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered. He says, the most important is this. He doesn't say... Love the Lord your God. He says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now I want to say to you, the greatest commandment is not half of the first greatest commandment. It is the whole one. The word here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, is a statement that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's what Israel had to say three times a day as a nation. As a, as a Jewish man, I would walk and say this, and you could repeat it over and over and over again, but at least three times a day, morning, noon, and night, they would say it. And they were, it's called the Shema or the Shema. Have you heard that word, Shema? And it goes like this, Shema means here. O Israel, and the correct translation is not the Lord our God, the Lord is one, but it's this, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. That is what it means. The Lord our God, the Lord our alone. And, it's, and, it's, and the word Shema is a very key word because the word Shema, or I'm going to use it in the English term Shema, the word Shema or Shema is, is, means to listen or to hear, but it's far greater than what we understand. Like, oh, I'm listening to the music. It means I'm, I'm, I'm hearing the wave sounds of the music in my ears and I like it. It doesn't mean that. It's much more deeper than that. It means to act upon. It's, it's, a, it's listening with an action. And it means this. Listen and obey, O Israel, which means those who walk with God. The Lord, our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God as part of that Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your strength, all of your might, all of your soul. Right? Why? Because the word understood as love is also to act upon. You cannot love someone if you don't act on their behalf. For God so loved the world that he waited patiently for us to just, you know, get our stuff together. No, for God so loved the world that he gave. He then acts upon love. Every time you see love in the Bible by God, it's, he acts upon on behalf of his people. So the word Shema means to listen with an action. It's to, I hear you, like if I said to my, my if, you know when you shout to your daughter or your kid, and they're, not, and they're not cleaning their room. Have you cleaned your room? And they're, they're, not, they're doing their thing, they're answering are you listening to me? You're not asking, are they listening to you with their ears? But you're asking, the fact that you are not operating and cleaning your room, you haven't activated cleaning your room, means you're not listening to me. 
That's the exact word of Shema. If you live outside, that's why Israel had to, keep, Israel had to say it three times a day. Hear, O Israel, was to, we hear you, God, we obey you, God, we act upon what you're asking us to do, knowing that you, O Lord, are one and only God above all the other gods. And because of that, we love you. We act on behalf of you. We love you with all of our strength, with everything of who we are, with all of our minds, all of our souls. We love you with all of who we are. And then based on that, we love our neighbor as we would ourselves. Deuteronomy 6 is also to love your neighbor as you would yourself. This wasn't something that Jesus made up. This was from their original Torah. And so I want us to be a people For me personally, I don't know, you make your own decisions. But who are hearing God. I heard God. Brad, I want you to take your family, leave South Africa, and I want you to go into a country you don't know called Dubai. I didn't have a clue what the place was like. And I want you to go and support that man called Mark and Charmaine as they plant and lead a church in a very hostile environment. No worries, Lord. I left everything that I had, and I arrived there with a suitcase each in one hand luggage bag each, on the shores of a nation that we, had, we, had, we knew nobody there. And we had no understanding. We had never visited the place, nothing. We just arrived there. And we went, okay, fantastic. Got a taxi to the hotel and then phoned Mark and said, hey, we've arrived. And he sent someone to pick us up and bring us to church. The same day, the church was that night. And there we were in this place that now was going to become our home. Very different, very foreign, a whole lot of people we never knew. And we're standing there worshiping God going, we're meant to be here to help in whatever it is that we're supposed to do. We had no understanding of what we were going to do, but we just knew that this is where we were meant to be. That's Shema. That's listen. That's hearing God and acting upon it. Not, yeah, that's fantastic. No worries. Let me get all my money in order first. I'll save up. I need to do this. I need to. No, no. It's immediately acting upon it. Amen? I want to show you this video quickly, and then I'll just I'll wrap up afterwards if you can play that. who is the person I'm going to tell you a little bit about, but I want to share this from first-hand, first-person university student at the University of Florida, okay? One of the top five party schools in America, as you know. Um, let me give you a little bit about background on Ashley if you don't know her story. Ashley, uh, her parents got divorced when she was young. Um, she kind of sided with her dad who never remarried, had no other children, and they kind of didn't want anything to do with God. They very much didn't want anything to do with God. They didn't like church, Christians, God, or anything about that. They kind of hung out together. Mom got remarried. Mom was a believer. She remarried a believer. They had a son, so Ashley has a stepbrother. He's a believer. They're sort of the Christians. Ashley and dad over here are sort of the non-Christians. And Ashley, Ashley's living at Florida with her boyfriend. They share an apartment together. And about the middle to the end of the fall semester of her senior year, she goes to class. She comes home from class because she feels sick. And when she gets home from class, she finds her boyfriend um, in bed with another girl from school. And they have a blow up of massive proportion. She kicks him out of her apartment and puts a notice up at the school saying, I need a roommate for the last semester of college, for my final semester at the University of Florida. And a girl figures out, I need to save money because I'm getting married. So I need, this looks like a good living situation. So she signs up and she gets this new roommate. And that's where we pick up the story. I have permission, by the way, to read this journal. So don't freak out on me, okay? Um, this, I have permission to read it. And if you don't know Ashley's story, you'll understand why it's okay uh, in a couple of minutes. But I'm just 
just going to jump in on January 7th, okay? And only as a, a university student could write this. It says all caps, happy final semester of college, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And then she begins this story. Can I just read a tad of this to you? It's a pretty amazing uh, journey. Okay, so M, that's his uh, initial, is officially out of the apartment, and I'm so glad he's gone. Though I've loved him for the last two years, and I still do love him so much. But I'm renting out one of the rooms because I really do not want to live alone. I rented it before winter break to this quiet girl named Krista. She seems sweet, but turns out she's a fruitcake. <laughs> she's into all that God, um, and I know we've got a mixed crowd here today, uh, S-H-I-T, and I don't want to j- jump around this, so if it, if I hope that you'll just give me grace on that, and if your kids are in the room, that you'll help them understand that. But this is real. This is a real person, okay? And if that bothers you in some way that she would say that word, I know none of you would ever say that word, but if it bothered you to some degree that she did, I'm sorry. She um, is not with God, not walking with God. Um, she's into all that God blank. But I'm pretty sure she's more wacko than mom, Jacob, that's her stepbrother, or Jeff, her stepdad. I asked her what she did over winter break. She said she went home and then came back early to go to a conference in Atlanta. I made the mistake of asking her what kind of conference it was. Apparently, it was the greatest thing she's ever done. She said that God really changed her at this passion conference. Well, I do not link passion in God, but whatever. She said she got to worship God with over 20,000 college students. So yeah, that was the best thing she's ever done. She needs to get out more, a whole lot more. But so that's the new fruitcake. Jeremy is her guy, and that boy hates me. We worked on a group project together last year for Children's Lit, and he made it clear that he thinks he's better than me. He'd get along well with my mom. He's a little holier-than-thou Bible thumper. I really hope fruitcake's not as crazy as he is. Otherwise, it's going to be a long, blanking semester. School this semester is going to be a breeze. I'm taking four classes and three are electives. That was smart planning on my part. I'm going to party like it's 1999 this semester and have the time of my life before I can no longer hide behind the fact that I am in college. LOL. That means laugh out loud. We'll be back later. Five days go by. Em and I are back together. Well, kind of. I do love him so much. He came over last night. We hung out with J and C and C and F. We were all just watching, uh, drinking and watching a movie. The lights were out, and of course, him and I quit watching the movie right after the credits. We were amazing together. He did not say anything about us being officially together again, but he did spend the night. He said he had a class, and so do I, so I have to run. Skip a few days forward. Okay, so it's been a few days since I've been here. I've been so busy. I went running today. I was running past one of the buildings in the complex, and I see M's car, and then he comes out of, names this girl's apartment. I just kept going. He had on the same clothes he had on when I saw him at C's house last night. He told me last night he still needed a little time to figure out what he wants, so I was like, that's cool, but there's only one reason he would sleep at that blank's place last night. I cannot believe he slept with that blank, blank. I ran an extra three miles and finally came home dripping in sweat. Mind you, it's 40 degrees outside. I'd already taken off my jacket. I came in and went straight to the kitchen. Walking past Kristen, pulled a beer out of the fridge and ice cream out of the freezer. I jumped on the counter, drank my beer and ate my ice cream and just cried. Krista asked me if I was okay. 
I said, blank, no, I'm not okay. Fruitcake then grabbed another container of ice cream out of the freezer and sat down at the table. Why the H-E-L-L do we have so much ice cream in January? Seriously, there are three more containers in there. (laughs) I really wanted her just to leave me alone, but since she was not going to do that, I asked her what was wrong with her. I mean, she obviously does not drink. She does not go to clubs. She asked me what I meant, so I asked her why she was the way she was. And all she said was, God. She said it was her goal to live a life that Christ would be proud of. I laughed. I couldn't help it. But the fruitcake was serious. I asked her if she's ever slept with Jeremy, the guy she's dating, and she said, no, when she gets married, she'll be a virgin. Wow, those are still around? She said they've been dating three years. I've not dated a guy for three weeks and not slept with him. I cannot imagine three years without sex. The girl is a fruitcake. She then said it was because she had a personal relationship with God that she was saved. I do have to admit she's different from the Christians I know, but she's still a fruitcake. But then she asked me why I was so upset, and I told her about M wanting more time apart than seeing him come out of this other girl's apartment. I cannot believe how much one guy can mess me up. I told her about all the blank he's put me through and how he used me and cheated on me. And you know what? She did not give me all the Christian crap that mom always gives me if I mention him to her. Fruitcake just sat there and listened to me vent. She did not criticize me when I was done. All she did was say, wow. And she said, Ashley, I'm really sorry that he's done that to you. Then she did it. She asked me if she could pray for me. I laughed, jumped off the counter and said, I need a shower. After my shower, Krista was gone and I just sat on the couch and cried. I love him and I hate him. How is that possible? I should only hate him. I cannot figure Krista out in her little Bible-thumping world. You know, she actually reads her Bible, like a lot. I see it move around the apartment from the kitchen to the living room and even to the office. I should be the enemy to her, the one she wants nothing to do with, but she does not seem to think she's better than me. It also seems that this God and Jesus stuff are real to her. I do not understand the fruitcake at all. January 18th, I won't read you the entry, but just the first line's hilarious. The fruitcake and I went running together today. I cannot believe she actually kept up. Who knew? Christians could run. Amazing thought. (laughs) January 19th. Okay, so I have to find out what makes Krista so different from every Christian I've ever known. She does not look down her nose at me. She's really nice to me and acts as if she just wants to be my friend. It does not make sense. No one ever just wants to be Ashley's friend without getting something in return, especially not a Christian. God is not for people like me. And Jacob's supposed to be the only Christian who does not judge me, and that's only because he's my brother. January 21st comes. 14 days have gone by. Okay, today I did it. This morning, Fruitcake and I were in the kitchen, and I asked her why this God stuff was so important to her. She told me it was because he truly loved her and he was her closest friend. So I asked her what she meant by that and she said exactly what I said. She said, God is all about love and God's love is the greatest thing ever. So then I was like, why do you live all perfect like you do? She laughed and said she was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but she was forgiven. She said she was at this passion conference 
the 20,000 people with no lives thing in Atlanta. She said she was reminded that God loves not only her, but also the rest of the world. He sent his son to die for us all. Basically, the Easter story. Mom used to make me go to church all the time. I hated it. I quit going when I was in high school and able to stay at dad's place all the time. See, God is not for people like me. God is for people like Fruitcake, Jeremy, and their friends. I am way too screwed up for God to care at all about me. Fruitcake had to go to work, so we had to end our conversation. She said she would love to talk some more when she got home tonight, and I told her maybe. Well, after she left, I was on the couch when M came over and apologized for um, blank, 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 blank. Um, but as he said, we are not together anymore. But he did say when he saw me running away, he realized what a big mistake he made. He said he loves me so much and I'm the only one he wants to be with. I really want to believe him. We've been through so much together, but can I forgive him for sleeping with that blank again? Besides, he's not going anywhere in life. He's a professional student. I asked him to leave. I told him I could not do this again. I am moving on with my life. He left and I cried and cried for a very long time. I do not need first, middle, and last name. I can live life on my own. Besides, I can get any guy I want. Who needs M? Page turns and the color changes, but it says still January 21st. She continues, okay, so I'm back again, S-H-I-T, it has been a crazy day, crazy enough to make me come back here twice on one day, so no actual homework got done today, I cried, shopped, cried, ate, cried, ran, cried, and ate again, so you get the point, there was a lot of crying today, I did not answer my cell literally the 17 times he called me today, well, I'm on the couch when Fruitcake got home, she sat down and asked me if I wanted some ice cream, I could not help but laugh. We sat there in silence for a really long time, and then I asked her how much God was going to punish her for living with a screw-up like me. She just looked at me and said, Ashley, God really is not like that at all. He really does love us. I told her I knew all about this God stuff, and I was way far too gone and too screwed up to even think about God's kind of love. I am not a religious nutcase like my mom or her family. As much as I love them, they are crazy. She just said, okay, you need to hear Louie talk. He's better at this than I am. So I asked who Louie was, and she said he kind of headed up the Passion Conferences. So she pulls a couple of DVDs off of her shelf in the unit. She said they were just Louie talking. They were sermons on DVD. I could not believe that Fruitcake had sermons on DVD. But I agreed to watch anyway, not like I had anything better to do. So the first one we watch is called Indescribable. And this Louis guy talked about God differently than I've ever heard before. It was kind of weird. He made it sound like God was for everyone. He made it sound like the God that created the universe really cared about all of us. Then when that was over, Fruitcake asked me what I thought. I told her I did not buy it. I told her that God is not for people like me. She asked me if I wanted to watch another talk, a.k.a. Preacher Man. I just said, whatever. Again, I had nothing better to do. So we watched one called Passport. In this one, Louis talked about how Christians did not have to hope for the best in the end, that people did not have to do enough good stuff to get to heaven. It made sense. Pretty weird, huh? Then Louis started talking about grace and how God is a loving and forgiving God 
and that he wants to forgive us. It all made sense. I could hardly breathe, though. Seriously, I was sitting, and oxygen was not flowing through my lungs the way it should. The DVD ended, and the fruitcake just looked up at me. I was crying and trying to regain control of my lungs and gather my thoughts. I asked her if what he said was true, that because of grace, God could love me, that God could even love the screw-ups. She said, yes, it sounds so easy, but all we have to do is ask Christ to save us, and he will. I've heard of salvation my whole life, but never agree with the whole deal of all I have to do is ask and everything would be okay. But then Fruitcake explained, that is where grace comes into play. She said it was because God is such a gracious and loving God that he forgives, that Christ took care of everything on the cross. And he did not just die, but most important, he rose again, Easter And that Christianity is the only religion where we get to worship a God that has walked the earth, died, and rose again. So there on my couch in my living room, where a lot of SHIT has gone on, I decided I wanted what fruitcake had. That I wanted what Jacob, Jeremy, Mom, and Jeff all had. I wanted grace. So I asked Jesus in my heart. I asked him to forgive me for all the mistakes I'd made. I told God that I knew I had messed up a lot, but if he would take me, I wanted to be a Christian. So there you have it. I am a Christian. I feel like a huge weight has been lifted off my shoulders and I can breathe again. I feel like everything is going to be all right. I feel like I've found something I did not even know I was looking for. I know all this sounds crazy and I am sober, I promise. Fruitcake said that she's been praying for me since the first day she moved in and asked me if I was a Christian. Then we got out the ice cream. I'm going to get fat with fruitcake around. (laughs) Isn't that powerful? 14 days from I don't want a thing to do with God. I don't believe in God. I don't ever want to go to church again. I want grace. I get it. And I see it for my life. Don't ever count God out. Because you know what I'm coming to discover? Most of the people that I talk to in life who say they don't believe in God, it's not that they don't believe in God. It's that they think God doesn't believe in them. And their defense mechanism is, well, if he doesn't believe in me, I'm going to not believe in him. And that's how I'm going to work my way through this. She found out different. Can I just read you a couple of tiny short ones and then close? January 28th. So I wrote an email a few days ago to Louis Giglio, the sermon guy on the DVD. He wrote back. That is crazy cool. I also drove to Jacksonville to tell mom, Jeff, and Jacob that I am a Christian. Mom cried and said she was so happy that I made that decision. Jacob and I went running as well and just did a light jog so we could talk. He was also pretty stoked about me learning about grace and stuff. Daddy told me I've gone crazy, but he loves me anyway. That is Daddy's way. It will take him a long time, but Jacob says if I pray, God can use those prayers to soften Daddy's heart, and maybe he will become a Christian too. Guess what? Louis Giglio put my email on his blog that like a ton of people read, and it got a lot of really nice comments. It was pretty cool. 
So much I want to write, but I need to get on my British lit paper. This class may be the death of me this semester. I really want an A. So Krista was listening to Louis' podcast, and he read my email on that as well. I cannot believe how many people are hearing about me becoming a Christian. It's crazy, crazy stuff. And the last one, February 8th, I went to a Bible study with Krista tonight, and that was actually kind of fun and cool. Everyone was like, hey, Ashley, and did not make me feel like all awkward and stuff. It was like I belonged there. They sang some songs which I did not know, and everyone else did, but it was cool. My favorite, I came home and looked up the lyrics. Here they are because I love them. I don't know why, but I started crying when they were singing it, and I just wanted to lift my hands like they did. I did not, but I talked to Krista about it afterwards. She said, that's just a way of worshiping God. Jesus did take me just like he found me, with all my failures and my screw-ups. He loved me just like I am. He's shown me so much compassion and mercy, and he all caps loves me. That just blows me away, you know. And then she changes color again. And in the red, she writes the lyrics to the song, and I'd just like to read them all for you. Most of you know this song. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, a kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. My Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever the author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures fill my life again. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Now I surrender. And she writes the bridge to this chorus. Shine your light and let the whole world see we're singing for the glory of the risen king jesus there's a lot of miscellaneous last semester of college business and then she writes on April 28th, Daddy and I went to the BMW dealership and ordered me a new car, <laughs> which should be in at the end of June to be delivered to the San Francisco dealership. That's where her job was. I love my daddy, and he is so proud of his princess. Jacob, Stephen, and I went surfing today. Well, Jacob and Stephen surfed. I laid on the beach and worked on my tan. I need to look great for graduation night picks. Tomorrow I'm driving back to Gainesville after church and sushi in Riverside. We're going to Sushi Cafe. And they did. Went to church, worshiped God, went to lunch, had sushi. Headed back to Gainesville and at 3 o'clock Ashley had an accident and... They never could stop the internal bleeding that night to do the surgery that would have saved her life. And there's nothing written on the next page or any of the rest of the pages in the journal. 
which I only have, by the way, and have been holding for two weeks now because of her dad, Mike, who has become a friend of mine through her death. And he wanted to find out who is this DVD guy, who is this Louie guy that my daughter talked about. And we became friends via email and email every week and have since then. Some of you remember Mike from before and you're going to ask and um, in his own words after listening to one of the earlier talks, he said, Louie, I don't know if you're going to get your bow or not. And I said, well, we're uh, stuck together, me and you, because of how much you loved your daughter and how much your daughter's life has impacted my life and the lives of many people around this world and bow or no bow, um, I'm your friend. He means so much to me, and I, I, I sent him an email and just said, I'd really love to borrow the real journal. Because in January, he sent me an email, and he said, you know, you keep saying, Louis, that you wish you knew my daughter. You wish you knew my daughter. You wish you'd just know my daughter more. And so turns out, Louis, my daughter was a journaler, and her stepbrother, Jacob, um, he typed out her last journal from October to the day before she died, and I've attached it to this email. And I just sat and read Can you imagine reading that for the first time? I just wept when I read her story of coming to faith in the grace of God. And I said, Mike, please, and went to her mom and her stepdad and her brother, Jacob. I said, can I please read some of this to the students of the world? And they kindly agreed. And so I've been sharing her story with people on every continent on this planet, with students all across this nation and all across the world. And as we came to this talk, I said, Mike, I really love to borrow the journal. Could I just maybe borrow it for a day so I could actually read out of it? And um, he said, you know, we've been talking, me and Jacob, and I know your birthday's coming up. This was a few weeks ago. And he said, we want you to have Ashley's journal for your birthday. We want to give it to you. And we know that, um, we know she would want you to have it and she would want you to share it and share her story with the whole world. And it's a story of grace. It's a story of a God who did what we can't do. It's a story of God who took all of our wrong and put it on his innocent son and took all of the innocence of his son and put it into the account of the people who put their trust in him. And if you're Krista today, if you're fruitcake and you're here today, don't count God out. You don't know what he's doing in the lives of the people that are right around you. And you don't know how close they are to wanting something in their lives that's true and real. And if you came today and you're Ashley, oh my, how could you not know that there is a God in heaven who loves you so much. And his message to you today, I was in the world, in this same world, in Jesus Christ, reconnecting the world to me. And I am not counting your sins against you today. The story today is even for the screw-ups. It's even for the mess-ups. It's even for people like you, and it is powerful, and that's why it's called Amazing, Amazing Grace. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your power to save. Thank you for your willingness to come and step on this planet. Thank you for your willingness to rescue us. Isn't that incredible? I watched that a little while back with Rio and Naomi, and I said, that there 
is not about Ashley, really. It's actually about Krista. Krista, she lived as a disciple. I said, that's the simplicity of discipleship. She, she held the course, obedient to God. She could have walked in that apartment, seen the kind of person that was, and gone, I'm going to go rent an apartment with a Christian, which is what many people would do. But she just, a student, she, she doesn't, these kind of testimonies are not the big ones you hear about often. It's always the, you know, it's the drug addict who, or the gangster who then becomes a born-again Christian and all of, you know, those are the ones that are shared. But we don't hear this. And I, I, the reason why I found this so impactful is because Krista just simply obeyed Jesus. She, she, if you listen to what she had told Ashley, you know, I, I don't want to, I want to just follow Jesus with all of my heart. She modeled out a lifestyle of freedom. She lived the truth. And she embraced her. She wasn't a Bible thumper. She, you know, oftentimes, you, you know, it annoys me with some evangelists where they, and not all of them, just some, and sometimes it's, it's you know, the heart's good, but the, the, the motive, not the, sorry, the heart and the motive are good, but, but the method is sometimes not helpful. But they, they really just want to thrash the fact that people are, you know, you're a filthy sinner, you need Jesus, do you want to go to hell? Sometimes that just doesn't work with people. What works with people is, you know, God loves you just how you are, you know? I'm not here to teach you on evangelism. What I'm here to say is, for us, we, we eat fruitcakes. We are. We are the fruitcake. And, and you being in an apartment, living with someone in a shared house, a teacher in a classroom, a stay-at-home mom, uh, you know, a businessman, <clears throat> a construction worker on a building site, a paramedic, you know, whatever it is that you do, it doesn't matter. That obedience, that the, being a disciple of Jesus is, is a student of God. And we begin, as we walk by the Spirit, to look like Jesus to those around us. It took them 14 days. <laughs> That's pretty phenomenal. 14 days of a... She, Krista wasn't an evangelist. She wasn't harping on about it. She literally just listened to a broken girl share her journey and laugh and just loved her and was just there for her. And just that simple amount of just listening, being there, unwavering in her face. She didn't try to accommodate Ashley by being like Ashley. She remained true to who she was as a disciple of Jesus. And Ashley was drawn to that life and that freedom. Yes, Ashley was in a ripe place, and, but God knew all this all along. God knew Ashley would die a couple months later. But he got her into the kingdom by a disciple. Jesus got her into the kingdom, not Krista. Krista was the disciple that lived out the faith and that drew Ashley towards Jesus because Ashley saw Jesus in Krista. For me, honestly, like I could have shared for 45 minutes, but I just felt the testimony. I've, I, I don't hear testimonies like that often. I, I hear the big ones. The big ones that are publicized, because they, in our eyes, that is big. But in God's eyes, that's huge. A young girl was born again months before she, she died. Now, whether she died or she didn't die, it's, it's irrelevant. The fact is she found Jesus. She found Jesus, and she came home. For us, it's quite simple. Like I, I said to, to Rio the other day, I said, you know, you, you, you be someone's fruitcake. Be the fruitcake. Be the fruitcake at work. Be the fruit. And when I mean fruitcake, we're not. It's, it, she wasn't wild and wacky. She was just simply who she was. And it's strange to the world when they see us. It really is. 
You know, I'll just quickly, in two, two minutes, and I'll share a testimony that happened to me at work a couple of weeks back. I was sitting having lunch with two guys that are, um, in a sense, I, I, I'm, in a sense, manage them. And um, we were just talking, and there was a Jehovah's Witness that was standing at the same place they always go every, I think it's like every Thursday or something, Wednesday or Thursday. They stand and they've got their little thing set up, and they're trying to tell people. And we were talking, and I said, what are those guys? And he said, oh, they're, J- they're Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, oh, okay, JWs. And then this one youngster said, at college, because he's a, he's a cadet, he said, at college the other day, I was, um, I was walking, and uh, this man came and grabbed me on the shoulder, and I turned around, and he said he had a... He had a, um, actually has this, he had a dream, a dream of seeing a person with one limb missing. The next day at the university, this guy grabs him on the shoulder, turns around and says, old guy, he says, he's not a student or anything, he says, he's just at our uni, who had one limb, he had like one leg missing, but he asked me if I know who Jesus is. This is this, is this young guy, and he goes, I told him I'm not into the God stuff. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And then they started to talk. These two guys are talking. So I engaged in the conversation at their level. Not at my level, but at their level. And um, I said, I I, I believe in, because he said, I believe in evolution. I said, I believe in creation. He goes, so you believe in like a force? I said, no, I believe in a a creator, um, but not some strange force. He's quite personal to me. And I started talking. They were asking questions, so I started asking them questions. And I took him through. I said, so you have faith in evolution? He goes, no, I don't have faith at all. I said, well, you have to if you believe evolution. And I took him through the process of evolution. I said, you need more faith than I need to believe in a creative being, a a supernatural intellectual being, to believe that there was just suddenly nothing that suddenly randomly came together and became something. And here we are, man. And I started talking to him about the anatomy of our body. I looked at a tree. I said, how do you explain that tree from a seed that small, that it knows how to grow cell upon cell out of the soil, and, it, and every tree species caps itself at a certain height. I said, you don't get you know, little pandanus trees that are you know, 100 meters tall, and they don't need to be uh, trimmed to keep themselves that big. They're trimmed to be in shape. And we started talking about all this stuff, and afterwards he, he looked at me and he went, you've really given me something to think about. Really, you've given me something to think about. I think that what I've believed in evolution, when you say it the way you do, doesn't actually make sense, does it? I said, no, it doesn't. And we went back to work. I didn't press it anymore. I didn't next day come and, hey, he has a Bible, start reading it. I left him with enough questions for him to question more because there was an opportunity that presented itself. Now, he hasn't spoken to me, and it's been over a week about it again. But I did quote to them the other day because one of the guys pumps a lot of iron. He loves it. He's got his whole little... He's, I mean, he looks like a, he's chiseled out of marble. You know what I mean? And um, he's a great guy, fantastic guy. And um, he was talking about his training. So I said to him, I said, physical training is of some use. And he loves reading. He loves reading books by psychologists. And he's named this one psychologist that's a Christian, by the way. Um, and he said, I really love this guy's books. I said, you know that guy's a Christian? He goes, yeah, I actually do. You know. So we start talking a bit. And we're in the office. Guys are listening, the two guys. And so I said to him, Physical training is of good is of use. But I said, but spiritual training. I said, and training of your mind and your soul and your spirit is even more useful. And he's like, he's like, wow, that's he actually says, Man, that's deep. And the other guy's like, Yeah, that's true though. Like I said, man, spiritual training is far better. Like to have a, a healthy spirit. And he goes, 
wow, where, where did you make that up? I said, no, that's from Paul of Tarsus. He goes, who? I said, Paul of Tarsus. He goes, that's pretty good, man. It's like, yeah, yeah, I've got a lot more where that came from. And I walked away because I'm pretty cheeky with them and I love playing. But I didn't say to him, that's from the Bible because I know how to hook him in. Paul of Tarsus sounds a lot better than the Bible. He's like, okay, fair enough. You know, they sort of shut down. But Paul of Tarsus did write that. He did quote it. So leaving them just enough. And I've, I've said to names, I said, to them, it's, it's quite incredible being there. You know, not only are you impacting the business in, in the sense of making good, positive decisions for your company, but you're also now starting to impact people. Now, it might take a long time. I might not be the one who, who reaps that seed, who reaps that harvest. But I'm hoping that some, that, that harvest is reaped by someone. And if it is me, eh, fantastic. But I'll move on to another project. They might go to another different project. But I want them to, th- I want that young guy, and he does, to think at night and go, yeah, I need to think a bit more about this. I need-. And he's actually asked me to, to mentor him. He's asked me, he said, can you mentor me? I said, do you want to be mentored in, in what, in work or, or life? And he said, no, actually both. I want to be mentored in work and life. And so I mentor him, I do. We sit down and we chat together and I discuss things. And I say, man, you, you're 20-something years old. You need to move out of your parents' home. You need to, you need to get out on your own, be your own man. And, and he goes, why? So I tell him why. I tell him, give him reasons why, you know. So, so you, you look at that. He has an unsaved guy, a young intellectual guy who's a student at university who is asking me, a born-again Christian, to mentor him not only on work but on life. That's discipleship. What a fantastic opportunity. I didn't ask for it. God presented it. I'm this guy's fruitcake. I really am. And, you know, he even says, he said, man, you're crazy. I said, I know. My wife tells me the same thing. She tells me I'm crazy. And he's like, he goes, yeah, I like crazy people. But this is, this is the opportunities that we will have in life as we are disciples of Jesus. And one day we'll have, uh, Ashley, you've already had, some of you have had, I've had, but there's many more to come. Just be obedient. Be obedient to God in every situation and circumstance you find yourself. Amen? Do we need to pray? Who wants to pray? Everyone should put their hand up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I do. Does anyone want to pray for us? Just pray for the end of the meeting. I don't want to be the one who prays. I'm trying to, I'm trying to engage with you guys. If you don't put your hand up, I'm going to ask someone to pray. Anyone? No? I'm going to ask Dan. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, your example, Lord, and that we can be disciples of you. Lord, I pray that as we go about our lives, we would be fruitcakes, Lord, that we would sow into other people's lives, Lord, that that we would ask them questions to get them thinking rather than trying to berate them with things, Lord God, and our knowledge and what we think, Lord, but rather being an example of love and just showing that love, Lord God, and just continually giving them things to want more and find out more of who you are, Lord, because it's the overflow of you in our life that is attractive, the overflow of your love. Bless us as we go about our week, Lord God, and we just thank you that we can live like you. In Jesus' name, amen.